Blog Talk Radio. Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, navigating you through this crazy world that we live in. It is the 13th day of February 2014. Thank you so much for joining us. As per usual, I am here live for the next hour bringing you my sense of what I have gained, my knowledge, wisdom, and experience that I have acquired on this planet and giving it to you hoping that it will push you towards some state of cognitive awareness and conscious resistance. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, as usual, 9 till 10. Uh, sorry about last uh, Tuesday. I had a, a little snafu with the weather. So in order to make sure I got a show up and on the air, I had to uh, plan ahead and um, put together some stuff and throw it up there. And hopefully you guys enjoyed it. But let's talk about tonight. We're not in the same situation in Georgia anymore. We did have the proverbial ice storm of the century that was really not much of anything here where I live. But once again, um, government actually ran around crazy. Imagine that. Government ran around crazy here in the southeast for about two or three days prior to, you know, um, after the complete debacle that Georgia had a couple of weeks ago where nobody was prepared, nobody did anything, and then you had the proverbial finger pointing at the end of the day, we actually had some people step up and do the right thing and were very proactive, almost to a fault. Uh, schools canceled for no freaking reason. Um, but, hey, your tax dollars at work, everybody. Your tax dollars. So what we wanted to talk about tonight or what I wanted to talk about is technology because as we're running through this gauntlet that we call life, we're starting to see these trends pop up all over the planet. A couple of the trends being that technology will save us from our eternal doom and technology will save you from ever having to die. Well, that might be the case for some people but possibly not for the rest of us. And we're also going to run into this conundrum of do we insert our consciousness, which may or may not be bound to this human physical form. And once I get um, uh, Mr. Campbell on my show here, um, possibly next week or the week after, I still haven't got the date nailed down, but um, as soon as we get Tom Campbell, former um, physicist and um, NASA engineer on here to talk about his experience with consciousness, and um, actually correlates with what mine was, we will actually be able to nail that down for you guys. So don't go giving away your consciousness just yet because there might be more to this world and to this plane of existence than meets the eye. So that being said, let's talk about technology and the show itself today. First, I'm going to cover, obviously, if we were going to use the trivia methodology, we would want to understand the grammar of the words that we are discussing today. So the first word that we are going to discuss would be technology. And the technology, the definition, um, this is actually by, I think this is by Webster's, but it's copied onto Wikipedia, is the application of scientific knowledge for, per, for practical purposes, especially in industry. Now, my working definition of technology is anything engineered by the human species to enhance or make safer the daily activities or future activities. So that's my working definition. So it would be basically anything that you would have that would, um, that would be a microcosm or a macrocosm of something that we could create to make our lives easier. So I do. Um, I have a friend of mine calling me, but I'm going to decline him for a second. Let me get this show cranking here. He probably wants to join in on this conversation. So now that we have defined technology, let's get into the way that technology can actually help human, human beings and humanity itself. Well, as we've seen in our technology and in technology has grown over even my short lifetime, I just wanted to – I have some notes here – 
just wanted to go over what I've seen in my personal life that has made technology a little bit more fun to deal with, or actually life a little bit more fun to deal with. So I was a late 70s baby, so here are some old school things that you guys are going to hear that you probably never heard before if you're about 21 years old. Number one, um, I remember the first personal computer. I remember this um, transitioning from the actual mainframe slash drone computers, and it was for the the people at home so they could utilize their home their home PC and to be able to do word processing at home, um, all of these other little trinkets, and as well as play games, but also have some, some fundamental value to having a PC in the house. Now, the next thing that I came along with was a pager or a beeper. Now, beepers were around um, in the late 70s and even early 80s, but uh, didn't start to make um, a lot of traction in the, in the world until, I want to say, the, um, the mid to late 80s. And so once that came around, everybody started getting pagers. And when I was about, um, I think I was about 14 or 15, I got my first pager. And you had to send these cryptic messages, and you could send messages to your friends, and especially your parents didn't know what you were saying. So your pager would go off, and you would read a message from your friend, and you'd laugh, and it was great. So after pagers, we had um, car phones. Um, this was, and I'm talking about to the general public, not talking about to um, to the people like Zach Morris and um, Saved by the Bell. But um, we had the car phone, and then we had the cellular phone, and then after the cellular phone came the smartphone. And now we have transitioned from the smartphone to tablets to Google Glasses, and then in the future we will probably see a contact or some kind of other insert that will be, um, I guess, implanted either in, in your person or inside your eyeball to capture your day-to-day -day activity but also be feeding you information as you go through life. So what I wanted to get into is that the way that we're going to find out if technology is really going to benefit humanity is that we have to approach it with a moral compass. We have to have a moral look. So that would lead us to the next question. Once again, if we're going along the lines of grammar and logic and rhetoric, we have to understand what is morality. So I have taken a clip from a lecture that I talked about on my last podcast, and this is just a little six-minute clip um, and this is from Mark Passio's Natural Law Seminar, where he defines not only morality, but he also defines what we would deem right and wrong, which is the moral struggle. So here is the clip from Mark Passio's Natural Law Seminar. Common sense. We're going to talk about what common sense really is. Okay? A deep understanding of morality which are the principles concerning the distinction between right and wrong behavior lies at the very heart of natural law. This is the essence of it, folks, right here. And here's the difference between right and wrong in a nutshell, about as simply as I am capable of describing it. All right? Now, we use the words correct or to, right to mean correct and moral. When you say, okay, what's five plus five? It's ten. You're right. Meaning, you are correct. That is true. That is the correct answer. That is right. Okay? And then we say, was, was uh, stealing from, was stealing that money from Jim, was that, was that right? To mean, was it a moral behavior? So now, wh why would we use the same word, again, like the ancient Romans used the same word, book and free, okay, the, the, those two different concepts were represented by the same word, liber, right? And there's a reason, because reading will put you on the path to true freedom if you read the right books, okay? Why would in English, in the English language, we not really, we have other words to mean the same concepts, but the word right means two things simultaneously. It means both correct and it means moral. There's a reason. Because they mean the same thing. 
Correct is moral. Correct meaning that is, it is in alignment with that which is true means literally by definition, if it is true, then it is moral. The more you are following something that is false, that is not based in truth, the more you are going down the path of immorality, of wrongdoing. So we have to come to know what is true regarding right and wrong if we are going to be able to correctly, with wisdom, choose between these two modalities of behavior. So right, again, it means both correct which is based in truth, and moral, which means that the action, if taken, if acted upon, is in harmony with natural law. Actions based in it do not result in harm to other sentient beings. That's the definition of right. Now look at how simple that, that definition is. And, and think about it for a moment. We're talking about what is a right, meaning what do you have a right to do? And what you have a right to do is no different than what I have a right to do. What I'm telling you here is every single human being on this planet has the exact same rights. Not one person has one more right than another being. Not one person has one less right than another being. To think that anybody has more or less rights anywhere on the earth at any time in history is a fallacy. It is a lie. It is a deception. It is wrong. It is not correct. It is not based in truth. Rights are universal and the exact same for every human being. Blanket statement, absolute truth. Let the ego chew on it and deal with it. Okay? And again, the ego will have a hard time with this in many cases, with many people. They'll hear that and they'll want to throw a glass at me. So, look at the definition again. A right. So, when you make a definition, right, this is a noun. Right? Noun's a person, place, or thing in the English language. We're talking about a noun here. You look up the word right, it's a noun, meaning a right. A right that we have to enact, to take, is an action. You have to start a definition with the same type of word. You're defining a noun, you've got to give it a noun to start the definition. A right is an action. Most people will never even be able to tell you that. They'll say, can you define what a right is to me? They will not give you this noun. A right is an action. So is a wrong an action. A right is an action that if you take it, it does not cause harm to other sentient beings. That's the simple and easiest definition that anybody can give for what a right is. And I guarantee you, you go and engage as many people as you want on the street. I have not asked this question and had anybody raise, ever raise their hand or even contact me later and say, you go up to somebody on the street and ask them if they can define what a right is. Nobody can give you the correct definition for what a right is. Now, if you don't know what the definition of a right is, you certainly don't know whether you're choosing accurately between a right and a wrong, between right and wrong behavior. You can't. It's not possible. So, so many people believe that they're allowed and they can do actions with no consequence that actually aren't in alignment with natural law because the taking of those actions do result in harm. And they don't really even understand that. So let's look at what a wrong is. We're going to deeply look into what a wrong is. We're going to focus on what wrongs are. Because in reality, to even start this, right, what have we based this definition on? Actions based in it do not result in harm, right? That's the negative of another definition. Well, it's the negative of this definition. So you can only actually define a right by knowing what a wrong is. A right, technically, cannot be defined outside of the negative. A right can only be defined apophatically, meaning understanding what a wrong is and then stating that it is anything that falls outside of the parameters of wrongdoing. Okay, so that's enough of that speech. If you guys want to see that, I actually uploaded the entire speech 
to um, last week's um, podcast show notes. So go check it out there if you want to. Um, But that is what we're really dealing with here. So when we move into technology and we're moving into this age of enlightenment and this age of trinkets and this age of um, wonderment pretty much, what is the world going to be like in 10 years? Shoot, I didn't know that the world um, five years ago we were going to have – high-speed broadband internet on tablets and be able to conduct Skype with multiple calls and and things like that. I I understood that technology could be there. I didn't understand about Audible, that I could stream books to my phone. I mean, all of these different things that make our lives so amazing. We have to be cautious. Now, why do I say be cautious? Because there is one... There is one, and this is always a common theme on my show, so you guys will understand. There is one entity that is probably the most immoral entity on the planet. And yes, everybody, that is government. Government is, by definition, what Mark Passio said, government is amoral. Government is always in the wrong. Because it is doing actions that will harm individuals. By taking your tax money, that harms you individually. By putting you in a cage for doing something that's not under their quote-unquote guidelines, that is harming your person. Remember the last show that we did, Josh and I defined what the human experience should be and that we are all sovereign beings on this planet, meaning that you are the one owner of your body. Much like Mark Passio says here that you are the sovereign in the fact that nobody has any more rights than anyone else. So when we run into technology, what does technology typically always run up against or run underneath? Technology and government go hand in hand, whether we're talking about intricate systems of communication or we're talking about um, missile defense systems or if we're talking about predator drones that our, that our president brags that he's so good at utilizing. So we have this technology on the horizon. And the technology can be used in a moral way. But what would the moral way be given the definition that we've had? And that would be that it does not result in the wrongdoing of any other sentient being. So we're developing this new technology. We're developing Google Glasses. I mean, all of these things are awesome. I would love a pair of Google Glasses. If one of the listeners wants to send me a pair of Google Glasses, message me on Facebook, Twitter, or anywhere, and I will take them more than happily after I figure out how to disable all the tracking stuff. But see, that is where we run into the issue of technology. And how to approach it. So let's think about the new technologies that will be coming. For one, I think that remote working will probably become, if the economy holds together, I think remote working will probably become the norm rather than the exception to the rule. Never mind what the the CEO of Yahoo News said or or Yahoo said that she's going to start making everybody come back into the office. I think those days are over. I think the days of the big corporation that we all go and muddle into the steel mill and go into the company store and get our paychecks and work really hard and go home to our nuclear family, those days are over. We have to create a new reality. We have to create a better reality. And what I mean by that is we have to create by utilizing our thoughts, actions, and emotions, we have to create the desired outcome with these tools that we want from society. I want a society to be, I want to be able to interact with a kid in India right now and him understand my language and I understand his language without having to do any manipulation on my end or any on his end. To be able to communicate with another being that's experienced an entirely different um an entirely different uh, ecosphere, an entirely different you know, state of situation through their life. 
Now, do we put all those into a big database and then we put on Google Glasses and we can experience somebody else's life? That's a question we need to ask. And that, by definition, would not be would not be wrong because nobody is getting harmed in that experience. But what you are doing is you are allowing other people to experience your consciousness, to experience your path, which I think would be absolutely fascinating. If we took all of this data, if we took all of these Google Glasses and everything, and yes, everybody, I'm going to end it with a very big smack in the face of a lecture about what the NSA is really doing so that we can understand the dangers that are inherently involved in technology and why we always have to be vigilant and why we have to be in this together, looking at technology together, exploring the technology together, not just taking the old American cop out, well, somebody's doing something about it somewhere. Because that's what a lot of Americans think is that, well, somebody will look over that or somebody's got, you know, somebody's, Bob's got somebody on that. Somebody, somebody somewhere is doing it. It's the willful ignorance and the admittance that you haven't taken the time nor invested the time to find out if these things are going on. And that's where the challenge lies, is that we have to find out and we have to be involved, and you have to be informed, and you have to be educated, and you have to pull back from some of the um, some of the exciting things that really do corrupt your life, and not corrupt in a, a terrible way, but they distract you from doing things that will really be beneficial to you and to society as a whole, like understanding what the NSA is doing. Anybody that says that they've got nothing to hide and they got, you know, nothing to fear, they got nothing to hide has never really looked at what these people are doing. Because if you look at what they are doing, it will absolutely astonish you. And as I said before, I'm going to play a clip here at the end. So I've got um I got one of my friends from the um from the journalistic revolution, Matthew Dalton, who's going to call in here. Uh, in a minute, and we're going to um, we're going to have a chat about you know the technology. He said he wanted to chime in on this, so um, it, it's I think that we're all in this together. We all need to have different perspectives, but you also need to understand that technology is definitely a double-edged sword, and that's what we need to think about. You need to think about also who creates the technology. The majority of the technology that we utilize here in America was developed by NQTEL. NQTEL is a CIA front group that basically will develop the technology for the CIA since they're a private holding company and then will either sell the technology back to the CIA or will sell it off into another government derivative agency. So Google, unfortunately, was set up by NQTEL. So what does that tell you? You know, these major funding operations come from large corporate government organizations. And as I talked about before, what is one of the most immoral forces that we know on the planet? That is government. So if government creates these things, we should really have a close eye on it. That's what um, Aaron Schwartz died for, everybody. He died for internet freedom, that kid did. Gave his life for you and I to be able to converse with somebody on the internet without being spied upon, without having our data sold. I mean, how great is how great was that guy? But we never hear about him anymore. So it's really it's really up to us, the individuals, the sovereigns. Once again, if you own yourself, you should know where your data is going and who's got your data. More importantly, so. I brought up some articles, some current and some not so current, to to kind of lay the foundation for the conversation that um, that we were going to have. So here is my first article that I wanted to pull up, and I will put all of these in the show notes, by the way, everyone. So after the show, um, tune in sometime in the next day or so, give me a day, 
and I'll have all these up for you. So here is a Wired Magazine article back from 2010. So four years ago, and it says exclusive Google CIA investment in the future of web monitoring. And the future is in all quotes. And I'm going to read some of this for you guys. And it says, the investment arms of CIA and Google are both backing a company that monitors the web in real time and says it uses that information to predict the future. This is how they were able to predict the, um, the Egypt uprisings and all of that stuff. So the company is called Recorded Future, and it scours tens of thousands of websites, blogs, and Twitter accounts to find the relationships between people organizations, actions, and incidents, both present and still to come. And in a white paper, the company says that its temporal an analytics engine, quote, goes beyond search by, quote, looking at invisible links between documents that talk about the same or related entities and events. The idea to figure out which incident and who was involved, where it happens, and what might go down. Recorded future then plots on a chatter showing an outline and momentum from the even greater given or for any given event. And it says the cool thing is you can actually predict the curve in many cases, says the company's CEO, Christopher Algming, a former Swedish army ranger with a PhD in computer science, which naturally makes the 16-person Cambridge, Massachusetts firm attractive to Google Ventures, and they probably already own these people. I haven't even checked. And the shirts of the giant investment division and to NQTEL, which handles similar duties for the CIA and the wider intelligence community. So this was back in 2010. We have now passed the point where we understand that the NSA is taking all this data they are taking your private data. They are utilizing it to game not only the marketplace, but they are utilizing it to create profiles on each individual, much like the Nazis did with their list. They created profiles, um, habits. Um, if you guys have ever done any research into Nazism, that's um, what the Stasi did. They tracked habits, patterns, new uh, personal relationships, everything. So now we have that in the NSA. So moving forward throughout the entire, I guess, panopticon of control systems, we have to really look at these technologies and explain to ourselves how they're going to benefit us and then put on, I guess, on the forefront the actual protection of our data, our human data, our lives. Those are your lives, people. That's why I thought I would do this show tonight on technology because technology is becoming more and more integrated with our lives and eventually technology will basically hold everything in your life. It will. There's no real way to ignore it. I mean, there's no real way to... Uh, combat it unless we just go out and live in the in the jungle, but I'm just not going to be one of those people. So we're going to have to either stop the assimilation at a point where we're all comfortable, or you have to understand that um, we're just going to have to make some sacrifices, I guess. So here's the next article that I have, and actually this is a current one, and it says, Internet governments is too U.S.-centric, says European Commission. And it says the commission says that the NSA revelations call into question the U.S.'s role in Internet governance, which they say it should be global. I would agree. Let's have some more, some more agents of the state looking at this stuff. Why not? I mean, the NSA is looking at everybody, so it's getting, um, it's, it's getting absolutely ridiculous. I'm um, sorry, everybody. Just had to send out a message. So here is a little bit of the article, and it says the mass surveillance carried out by the U.S. National Security Agency means that the governance of the Internet has been made to the internationals, has been less dominated by America, says the European Union's executive has declared. Setting out proposals on how the World Wide Web should function and be regulated, of course you got to regulate it. Yeah, why not? I mean, 
The European Commission called the shift away from the California-based uh, Internet corporations for assigned names and numbers, the ICANN, which is subject to U.S. law. It contradicted by the U.S. administration and is empowered to supervise how digital traffic operates. Recent revelations of large-scale surveillance have called into question the stewardship of the United States when it comes into global and to excuse me Freudian slip when it comes into internet governance says the commission given the US centric model of the internet governance currently in place it is necessary to broker a smooth transition into a more global model while at the same time protecting the underlying values of the multi-stakeholder governance and this is getting really really weird Large-scale surveillance and intelligence activities have led to a loss of confidence in the Internet and its present governance arrangements. Besides critics of the U.S. domination of how the Internet and global traffic are organized, including the allocation and determination of domain names, the Brussels Institution also warned against increasing governmental, governmental attempts to control the Internet, as in China, Russia, Iran, increasingly in Turkey, which passed a stringent law last week curbing online freedoms. Oh, nothing compared to what the TPP would do, everybody, but don't worry about that. Once again, your amoral government force is there to protect you. And it says, in quote, governments have a crucial role to play. Both top-down approaches are not, no wait, but top-down approaches are not the right answer. We must strengthen our multi-shakeholder model, says Nestle Krayos, the Commissioner for Digital Affairs. Our fundamental freedoms and human rights are not negotiable, and they must be protected online. So why would we ever give it to government? And the article goes on for a little bit more, so I'll just go ahead and, I'll just go ahead and, Finish it up. She spoke against the giving of the United Nations the power to organize and supervise the Internet or grant such authority to the International Telecommunications Union, fearing that the voices would, that it would confer too much power on governments. Oh, imagine that. Where were you guys 20 years ago when they set this up? The commission called for a clear timeline for... For, for dueling the U.S. authority over to the ICANN and making it more of a quote-unquote global for agreement on a set principles of Internet governance to safeguard the open and unfragmented nature of the Internet and, the, and a med mediation body that would scrutinize conflicts arising from contradictory national jurisdictions over the Internet. So... Anyway, it goes on, and you guys can read it. It'll be in the show notes later. So that is what we've got working for us here, and um, I don't know if um, my friend's going to call in here or not, so we're going to find out. I might just call him. Who knows? All right, so anyway, so that is what we got going on for the current. That was actually a little bit of past and a little bit of current. So now let's shift into what my real concerns would be for technology. My real concerns for technology, not so much the spying, although I do have another article on that about Homeland Security to activate National License Plate Recognition Database, as if we don't live in 1984 already. I mean, all of this stuff was like, it was so pre-programmed in you from the time that you were probably 12 or 13 years old. I remember watching Judge Dredd, the first one, with Sylvester Stallone that was absolutely horrible, and everybody had cars that drove themselves, license plate readers, face scanners, you name it, and it's all here. No, that's just art imitating life. No, it's not art imitating life. It is unfortunately not. So with technology, what do we really want to know? And this is where I get into my conundrum of technology. It's like my, I guess, my fear of technology is I don't want to know some stuff. I don't want to live in Gattaca. I don't want to live in a preordained, predetermined computer-derived model of what used to be reality. Don't want to do that. So here is an article that I found today, actually, on Mail Online, and it says, Can we soon find out exactly how long we will live? Scientists accurately work out the lifespan of worms by analyzing their cells. 
And it says, scientists analyzed looking at the bursts of activity in the mitochondria and talks about the mitochondria a little bit. And it says, and this is a really short one, so I'm going to go ahead and breeze through it. Scientists have found a way to accurately predict the lifespan of worms in a breakthrough one called the other day, how long it can predict, used to predict human life. The secret, they claim, is in looking at the bursts of activity in the mitochondria, the part of the cell that generates energy. And it says the findings reported reported by reported in Nature suggested that the organism's lifespan is largely predictable, uh, even in early adulthood. And it says um, Ming Queen Dong is at the no, um, that's the guy's name. I'm sorry, guy. Ming Queen Dong at the National Institute of Biological Sciences in Beijing, China, added proteins to a neomide worms to get them to light up to detect the damaging of their mitochondria. Scientists believe a building up of the free radicals caused when cells metabolize is one of the factors that drive that that drives the aging process. Says Professor Dong, God, I cannot say that with almost laughing, but sorry, Professor. You do a good work, man, but your name is just absolutely killing me. Professor Dong's team found that the number of phytoflashes caused by the presence of free radicals could predict its lifespan. It says the worms usually live around 21 days and at their peak in the, in the reproductive fitness after about three days old. Worms of the low flashpoint activity that that have a time well excuse me I'm sorry guys worms that have a low mitoflash activity at the time lived longer while those with a high mitoflash activity died before day 21. The team also found that the worms carrying the genetic mutation also lived an expected life to 39 days exhibited fewer mitoflash burst and then genetically healed worms the pattern ha- has seen when oh, excuse me the same pattern was seen when the team exposed the worms short periods of starvation and heat shock mitochondria theory of the aging has been proposed it was proposed in 1972 and remains controversial absolutely anything that challenges mainline science will remain controversial as always so now I am actually going to um, I'm going to try to get my friend to call in again. Sorry, I just had to put him. So Matt, if you are out there listening, call in again. I am so sorry for having to send you, but to need a voicemail. But I was in the middle of reading this thing, so call in again, man, if you are ready. So we got about um, 20 minutes left. Um, hold on, one second. So we got about 20 minutes left, everybody. Sorry for the... Um, nope, here we go. Now we have... That, that didn't screw anything up. And it's a group call. Man, you got to love Skype. Can you hear me, sir? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Good. Gosh, you got to love Skype. When you hit one wrong button, then um, it kind of botches the entire entire deal. So I put everybody on hold. Sorry for the hold music, everybody. Enjoy the elevator Skype music that you guys just got. So... With me on the line is Matthew Dalton of the Journalistic Revolution, and um, thank God that we are not running video because I have not showered all day today, and I don't know why I shared that with the audience, but hey, you know what? It's been snowy. I've enjoyed the snow, and um, now we're getting on to bigger and better things like talking about technology. So, Matthew, I don't know if you were listening to the first part of the show, but basically um, I've covered the waterfront from technology, how it can be a good and a bad thing for us at the same time. And how our favorite, um, our favorite power-grabbing, um, kleptocratic, let's see, what's the best way to put this? Uh, monopolization of force government is always typically the one at the front end of technology. And that's why we should always be weary of what technology is 
and how it is utilized in our day-to-day lives. And I do have a, a rather long clip of six minutes towards the end, so we're going to have about ten minutes with you, maybe a little bit more. So what are, what are your thoughts on this technology, man? I'm, I said in the, the first part of the show I'd love to get a set of Google Glasses if I knew how to deactivate the spy technology, but um, where do you think all this stuff is going? Well, <clears throat> you know, I, technology is a, a funny thing because – when you say government's on the front end, I say they're on the front and the back end. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a very good way to put it. You know, like, yeah, the, the shit that we get from government, shit. <laughs> you know, it's like the back end. Sure. Uh, but the stuff that they've got that they're not even telling us about, that's a totally different story. Um, you know, where do I think, you know, I think technology hurts us and it helps us. Um, you know, we're looking, you know, a lot of people like, get off of Facebook, but, you know, how would we talk to people if it wasn't for Facebook? I mean, right. we get to hear... It's a methodology and a mode for us to communicate, or an avenue for us to communicate mm-hmm. with other sentient beings. I think it's a great idea. But the Internet was created by government. Correct. So that makes it, once again, it makes it one of these double-edged swords that we need to ask questions. Mm-hmm. When these things are created, why are they created, who created them, and not just have this passe thing where we say... Well, somebody's probably looking over that. Somebody did it. Somebody did somewhere did it. Mhm. Yeah, and and I and I look at it and I think you know, I think it's important that when we get this technology, whenever we get it because it's typically it leaks out and it typically comes to us in some form shape form mm-hmm. that we use it to our the best of our ability. Mhm. Um to serve our purpose. Right. And and hopefully that in you know but, you know, I've heard, I heard, and, I, you know, I swear I've said this to a couple of people. I've talked about it a couple of times. Uh, I once heard an interview with these two gentlemen, and they had a friend who worked for, like, Boeing or something like that. He, he worked with, um, with the government in, in, in charge of some department, and he wanted to scream it from the rooftops. What technology they've had since, like, the 50s that has far surpassed anything that we'll see Ever. And this was uh, an interview that was done a uh, little over 20 years, a little less than 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about technology where they have the ability to to basically travel through space at the speed of light. Oh, though, well, that wouldn't surprise me at all because the, the Germans, when they were doing their scientific discoveries, they were working on transportation technology where they could actually transport a, a monkey from one pod to another. And the reason that they never found out where they got in the studies is because they had orders, as the war was winding down, they had orders to go in and massacre the scientists on site and burn everything. So the, when the United States went over there, or whomever the, the occupying army was at that time, went over and found these so-called you know, secret underground, and they were all buried into um, you know, sides of mountains and stuff like that. So when they go in there and they see these things, they're like, what in the hell? How far did they get? And we'll never know. But then again, we brought um, a lot of the scientists over here you know, in Operation Paperclip in order to give us the intercontinental ballistic missile and, and all of Werner and Braun stuff. So, yeah, I would, uh, I would 100% agree with you that, to say that government is, is a lot more advanced than, than we'll probably ever know and, and maybe – um, maybe that's something that needs to be fleshed out by the populace. Maybe we should all um, stop just believing everything that we hear on the mainstream media and think about, well, if we have this technology ready to the public and the government has a $500 billion black budget, don't you think they could develop some really cool stuff with that? Oh, yeah. What's um, what's that government organization uh, they, they deal in technology? What's their name? Oh, uh, tell. Huh? NQTEL is the CIA, um, the basically the CIA. No, no. It's, I guess it's oh, DARPA. DARPA and one of those. Oh, didn't they give us those lovely little um, robots this year that look like they're just something out of a science fiction movie? Well, DARPA. I, I was watching this thing. Um, I guess um, um, Motorola, after it got bought up by Google, they hired this uh, this lady who used to work for DARPA. Mm-hmm. She was going to bring some of that technology over. I mean, swallowable pills that were actually would link up, you know, that they were actually like chips that would link up with your body. Wearable tattoos that would 
you know, that would act, that would interact with your phone, all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, watch this, and I'm like, huh? I saw that in a scientific magazine, and I need to get it from my parents' house. My mom is a Mensa member, so she gets this, like, Mensa scientific, um, yes, everybody, I am the, the son of a genius. So if you want to understand why I'm so smart, then that's probably it. No, I'm just absolutely kidding. I don't think I'm smart. But uh, they, had that, they had that tattoo thing. It said, like, what is the future in 2030? And it had this, like, almost bionic person with, like, a tattoo, like, it was like a little chip that acted as a microphone and as a uh, a reader for them for their cell phone. So I, I didn't mean to cut you off, man, but that's no, not really... I was going to make a joke, but that's okay. <laughs> this is not a joking matter, Matthew Dalton. This is serious technology inquisitive stuff here. Because... Mensa recruited me, but they said I was too smart for him. So. Oh, you know what? I, I don't blame him. Nobody wants to have Matthew Dalton on their team to tell everybody how stupid they are all the time. It would just be, it would be like, you know, oh, that would be terrible. <laughs> but, uh, and especially Trip, because then Trip would want to, you know, violate the NAP principle. But, <laughs> but that's okay. Anyway, we got about um, we got about five more minutes, man, and um, I think that technology is great, and I think that um, if we, like you said, if we use it to the best of our ability, it is something to look forward to. Now, what would you say? Um, what would you say? One piece of technology, if you could, that changed the way that your life operates um, since you were born. What was the, what's the one piece of technology that you have ever received or bought for yourself? that has changed the way that you view and live your life? It's right here, buddy. Okay, so they don't have video, so oh, it's a radio show. <laughs> I, was gonna, I was waiting for you to respond. Oh, the cell phone. Okay. So, say it eventually. So the smartphone. Smartphone, yeah. And, and how... Think about it this way. Not even just the smartphone. Cell phone technology alone. Think about it this way. In the, I got my first cell phone in 1996 when I turned 18 years old. Mm-hmm. It was still a young technology. Mm-hmm. Before that, nobody could get a hold of you if you were not home. I know. Wasn't that great? You could go the whole day without being bothered by a single soul if you didn't want to. And you could unplug your phone. You could yeah. just unplug it. That is not an option anymore. You can turn it off, but you, you can't can turn, turn it off. But yeah. But, I mean, we're so connected to everything now. And there's this great uh, documentary. It's one of my favorites. Uh, it's by Tiffany Schlain. It's called Connected. Okay. Um, I'm, writing, I yeah, I'm, writing, yeah, I'm writing that down. I'll put it in the show notes. It, it talks about how the brain interacts and the amount of connections that it, it has and how as, 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 as we evolve as people, we're eventually going to be connected with everybody it's almost kind of like a no borders kind of argument. It's kind of one of my favorite. Yeah, I, I would assume it's the collective consciousness model where everybody is going to be communicating with everybody at the same time, and everybody's going to have all the information and all the data at the same time. Is that correct? Yeah, something to that effect. Her her father was a neurosurgeon. His name is Leonard Schlein. He wrote a book called uh, Leonardo. I think it was Leonardo's brain. It's about Leonardo da Vinci mm-hmm. and how he used both sides of his brain. Mm-hmm. Because he was an artist, he was an artist and a scientist at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's, very, it's really intriguing stuff. Uh, I know Josh was uh, looking into reading the uh, the book by Leonard Schlein himself. Okay, I'll write that down and we'll put that on the show notes as well. Leonard Schlein, A-O-N. and that was for Leonardo da Vinci. But yeah, yeah, and the and the thing about it is, is this is the reason why I kind of agree with Adam Kokesh when he says that technology is going to make government is going to eventually uh, make government obsolete. That's what Lee Camp and I talked about. Absolutely. We're, going to, we're not going to need them. Oh, I love Lee Camp. I loved having him on our show as well. He's a really smart individual. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we can get him out of the, the, you know, the Noam Chomsky deal, but we'll, we'll work <laughs> out. Well, nobody's perfect. That's all right. Well, I, yeah, that's true. But so anyway, go ahead. So you were saying that um, you agree with Adam Kokesh and the fact that what now? That technology is eventually going to make government obsolete, and you know it's true. I mean, eventually we're gonna we're gonna we communicate today with people all around the world, all around the country, through things like Facebook and our phone, and and you know it used to be you would write some strange person by letter in hopes that they would respond, and they were a pen pal. Mm-hmm. Now you can friend them on Facebook and, and instantly carry a conversation across the world. Yeah, absolutely. 
Now, here's a question for you. Here's a question for you. Will it make the men in black uniforms obsolete? Well, that's 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 a whole other story. It's a whole other discussion altogether. Right, and I'm going to leave it at that. But go ahead and give a give your last few thoughts for um, technology and what what um, what are your takes on it, and um, and then we'll go to the go to the audio clip. Well, uh, as far as uh, takes on technology, uh, we need to use it to the best of our ability uh, to to make government as obsolete as possible. Um, yeah, my phone has a GPS, but my phone is easily disposable. <laughs> um, Very good point. Yeah, I mean, somebody asked me this question the other day about um, RFID chips, mm-hmm. saying, well, wouldn't you want, you know, just in case, you know, your son, in case he got kidnapped? What? Yeah. And I was like, no, no, I would not want my son. I don't even want my dog RFID chipped, you know, <laughs> like... It's like, where are you going to run into a situation to where your kid is going to be out of your sight for that long that you're not going to have any clue where he is, unless he gets kidnapped or something like that? The argument is kidnapping. You remember after that? The TSA's got to stick their damn hands down my pants in case a terrorist puts a bomb in there. I mean, give me a freaking break. Well, you know, remember that lady who had her whole entire family RFID chipped after 9-11? I mean, there are people out there that are willing to go to that extreme, uh, you know, over, over fear and... You know, it, it, it's just, it's absolutely insane. I was like, there's no way. Like, what kind of technology are you capable of? Well, I have a cell phone, and I know it's got GPS. I know they can track me. Mm. Guess what? It's easily disposable. I can throw it away. I can get rid of it. I can take a hammer to it. <laughs> exactly. You know, I think it's important that we stay on top. We keep educating people, and we keep using the tools that are presented to us. And hopefully, like Tiffany Schling uh, is saying, is this, we're so connected that, I mean, she didn't come right out and say government would be obsolete, but she, it's kind of that message if you, if you want to take it that way. And it, hopefully we get to that point where it's just we all decide, hey, look, man, I can communicate and live voluntarily and peacefully with anybody I want. I don't need borders. I don't need government. No, but, no, that would, there, here come the guns. I can hear a drone coming right now. <laughs> And I, and I do mean that with a little bit of humor, though. But uh, I really do appreciate your take, Matthew. Um, and thank you so much for jumping on here with us. And as always, um, you guys run a show um, Friday, Sunday, and Wednesday? Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. at www.libertymovementradio.com. And thejournalisticrevolution.com as well. So thank you, Matthew Dalton. As always, a lot of fun talking with you, man. Sorry I missed the roundtable last night, but uh, hope you guys had a good show. So oh, yeah, blast. You need to join us when you can, but to take care of that baby first, buddy. Man, we had a, we had a rough um, – got off schedule, man. You know how that goes. Off schedule was not fun. So thanks for the time again, man. We'll see you soon. Take care, boss. All right, man. So the last portion of the show tonight is going to – Once again, absolutely fat-fingered, stupid Skype button. All right, somebody's got to come train me on Skype. That's it. I mean, this is getting ridiculous. All right, so the last few minutes of the show, I do have a clip here from um, Jacob Applebaum's um, presentation on to protect and infect, and is talking about what the NSA is doing, and it will run right up to the break. So thanks for listening, everybody, and if we run a little bit over, um, you guys can catch all of this stuff on the show notes of the wearenotcattle.net. Remember, like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter. Um, go to my YouTube channel. Please subscribe to me. Um, I think I do good work. The content is getting much better, and so um, I'm trying my best to give you guys great content along with great dialogue and great knowledge. So along with great knowledge comes great wisdom, and all we have to do is share the knowledge that we have, and we'll all be in a much better place. So here is Jacob Applebaum to Protect and Infect, Part 2, talking about what the NSA is really doing. So enjoy, everybody. This is what you do or do not need to be afraid of. Okay. We all know about Tempest, right, where the NSA stuff and they grab it, right? Everybody who raised their hand and said they're not surprised, you already knew about Tempest, right? Right? Okay. Well, what if I told you that the NSA had a specialized technology for beaming energy into you and to the computer systems around you? Would you believe that that was real or would that be paranoid speculation of a crazy person? (laughs) Anybody? You cynical guys holding up your hands saying that you're not surprised by anything? Raise your hand if you would be unsurprised by that. 
Good. It's not the same number. It's significantly lower. It's one person. Great. Here's what they do with those types of things. That exists, by the way. Um, <laughs> makes you, when I told Julian Assange about this, he, he said it's great. He said, uh, hmm, I bet the people who are around Hugo Chavez are going to wonder what caused his cancer. And I said, you know, I hadn't considered that. But, you know, I haven't found any data about human safety about these tools. Has the NSA performed tests where they actually show that radiating people with one kilowatt of RF energy at short range is safe? My God. No, you, you guys think I'm joking, right? Well, uh, yeah, here it is. This is a continuous wave generator, um, a continuous wave radar unit. Um, you can detect its use because it's used between one and two gigahertz, and um, its bandwidth is up to 45 megahertz. User adjustable, two watts, using an internal amplifier. External amplifier makes it possible to go up to one kilowatt. I'm just going to let you take that in for a moment. <clears throat> Who's crazy now? <laughs> now, I'm being told I only have one minute, so I'm going to have to go a little bit quicker. I'm sorry. Here's why they do it. This is an implant called RageMaster. It's part of the angry neighbor family of tools where they have a small device that they put in line with a cable in your monitor, and then they use this radar system to bounce a signal. This is not unlike the great seal bug that Lewis Theremin designed for the KGB. So it's good to know we finally caught up with the KGB, but um, now with computers. They send the microwave transmission, the continuous wave, it reflects off of this chip, and then they use this device to see your monitor. Yep, so there's the full life cycle. First they radiate you, then you die from cancer, then you win. Okay, so <clears throat> here's the same thing, but this time for keyboards, USB and PS2 keyboards. So the idea is that it's a data retroreflector. Here's another thing, but this one, the Tadri Yard program is a little bit different. It's a beacon. So this is where probably then they kill you with a drone. That's pretty scary stuff. They also have this for microphones together, room bugs. Uh, for room audio, notice the bottom, it says, all components are common off the shelf and are so non-attributable to the NSA. Unless you have this photograph and the product sheet. Happy hunting. <laughs> Just to give you another idea, this is a device they use to be able to actively hunt people down. This is a hunting device, right? Handheld finishing tool used for geolocation, targeting handsets in the field. So, who was not surprised by this? So glad to have finally reached a point where no one raised their hand except that one guy who I think misheard me. <laughs> or you're brilliant. And please stay in our community and work on open research. Yeah, um, I, and if you work for the NSA, I'd just like to encourage you to leak more documents. So we have um, just a few minutes left, so that's it for the show, everybody. I already have that whole um, presentation up on the website under what is the what is the NSA really doing under the things you should know tab. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, once again, get a friend, get informed, get involved, share knowledge with people that you know, people you like, and tell people about the show. Once again, we have to uh, get everybody's perception of reality to change and we also have to act. That is the key thing, that we must act in order to get things done. We cannot just sit on the sidelines and listen to shows. We must get onto the battlefield and do work and try to unlock minds so that we can all have a collective conscious that we would want to exist in. So once again, everybody, every Tuesday and Thursday night, check me out next Tuesday. I will be here, and hopefully next Thursday we will have Tom Campbell of the My Big Toe Theory. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Take care, and have a good one. Peace out, everybody. <laughs>